Welcome to another episode of the Texans 22 podcast. I have my partner in crime, Leo, a.k.a. Leo is Forgiven, a.k.a. The Run Game. And I have a very special guest today, someone I have admired for years and years and years. Glad to get him on the show, John McClain. John, I want to ask you, how's it going and what have you been doing since uh, you left 610? Uh, since I was shown the door and laid off two weeks ago, um, one of the things I liked working about 610, I never did it for the money. I've been on radio here 39 years in a row, including the last 24 at 610. And I'll tell you, I ended up at 610 from 740 KTRH, 610 KILT back then, and tried to hire me twice, but always wanted to be on the uh, Oilers flagship, and I wanted to be on the Texans flagship. They got in the franchise in 99, so Kilt made a second run at me. Moose Rosenfeld, his daddy, Dickie Rosenfeld, founded the station, was the godfather of Houston radio stations. And so I asked Bob McNair, I said, uh, off the record, I said, I've got a chance to go to KILT, and they're in the running to get your radio rights, and so is, is KTRH. I said, can you tell me which station I should go to? And he said, well, no, I can't tell you that. And I said, well, I sure would like to make the right decision. Maybe you could tell me what you would do. And he said, okay, let me talk to Jamie. That would be Jamie Roots, who uh, was negotiating those rights. A couple of weeks later, McNair calls me and he says, remember that question you asked me about what I would do? I said, yes. He said, well, if it were me, I'd take the offer. I said, thank you. And I hung up and I called, uh, I called Moose Rosenfeld and I told him, Moose, the offer's still on the table. I'd like to come talk to you about coming to KALT. So that was 24 years ago. And then uh, what I'd been doing lately uh, for the last two years since I retired from the Chronicle was I was writing four or five columns a week, sometimes six times. I love doing that because I got to write about the Astros whenever I wanted. And then I was making six appearances and then I was doing three Utopia football podcast with Sean Pendergast is one of my mm -hmm. favorite people. So when they call me in, what's going on there is they're owned by Odyssey. Odyssey's going through bankruptcy. And when you're in bankruptcy and you're trying to get down as much as you can to be more attractive financially to investors, so they made them all over the country, get rid of people like me who are not full time. And so uh, I felt terrible for the program director, Parker Hillis. He kept he told me, he said, look, I, you know, I don't want to do this. I, under, I said, I understand it happens. I've seen it happen to so many people in my business. And I thanked him for the opportunity. I told him I'm going to put it, uh, I'm going to tweet about it. He said, do whatever you want. And I still had the rest of the week, two more shows and two more podcasts with Sean. So they let me talk about it and talked about what happened. But what I've been doing is the same thing I have been doing. I do uh, talk shows in seven a week in six cities. That'd be San Antonio, Austin, Waco, Las Vegas, Knoxville, and two in Nashville. And I've been doing a morning uh, spot with KRIV's Nate Griffin for a long time. We've increased that to two Mondays and Fridays. I've been doing Texans radio for years, Thursdays at six. I'll still be doing that. And then I do a weekly video with Mattress Mac and uh, had a blast doing it. And I go out to Gallery Furniture. We record it. We put it out on social media. It reaches more than 500,000 followers if people want to click on it or not. And uh, one of the reasons I like Mattress Mac, I've asked him to do 13 charity opportunities with me over the last two years. And he's never said no. And he's a big wow. hit. And uh, so 
when you're with Mattress Mac at a charity benefit, it's like you're the invisible man. But I understand that because everybody wants to talk to Mattress Mac and he's very accommodating. And uh, he doesn't know it, but I'm about to hit him up for a couple more. So I do all that. And uh, there's a good chance that I'm going to be uh, doing radio for the 40th year in a row. Uh, I'll know more about that in the next couple of weeks. And then, and I think so I can still write. The reason I wrote for 610, they said they wanted to beef up their website. And would I write one column a week? I said, sure. That became two, then three, then four, then five. And I didn't have to do it. I never got paid for the writing, didn't get paid for the podcast. I got paid for the radio appearances. But I loved doing it, and it was a lot of fun. And so I'm still busy, and I'll probably stay on radio. But one of the things I really like is I asked the Texans website. I asked the Texans. I got this behind-the-scenes story on Andre Johnson. I'm the only one there. Uh, for the big knock, the big reveal, as the Hall of Fame calls it. I did that last year in Dallas with Chuck Cowley, Cowboys great linebacker. I had asked to present him to our committee, because seniors committee, because I'd seen every game he played from 61 through 73 because I grew up in Waco, a serious Cowboys fan. And then I came down here and had an exorcism and got that out of my system. And so um, – the Hall of Fame last year said yes. Well, I automatically presented Andre, and uh, and so I knew he'd made it. I had to keep it quiet. So I asked the Hall, "Can I be there when you knock on his door?" And they said yes. So I wrote the longest story I've ever written. It's still on HoustonChronicle.com, and it was unbelievable. The whole process was unbelievable. Watching him be shocked at the front door, hear his mother screaming watching him cry while Chris Carter shook his hand, shook his hand, welcomed him to the Pro Football of Fame, welcomed him to be part of the class of 2024. Andre was so shocked, he doesn't remember one word Chris said. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Um, um, so I love that tidbit. Um, let's get into the Super Bowl because we have to address it. it. It obviously happened. We'll get into some Texas news, trust me. But I wanted to get your quick thoughts on the Super Bowl um, because – some people claim it was disappointing. Uh, some people say that, you know, because we saw so many fumbles and low scoring, you know, only 13 points in the first half, that it wasn't the Super Bowl that they expected. Uh, John, what do you think? Did you have fun watching the game? Did you think it was a boring Super Bowl? What are your thoughts? No, it was absolutely not boring. It would only be boring to boring people. Uh, I picked it 27-24, Chiefs. Chiefs won by three. And to get overtime, go right down to the end of overtime was great. How many Super Bowls do we see where both teams come out sharp as can be? That never happens. You see teams fall behind 28 to three. You see teams bad in the first half. 49ers should have been up 21 to three in the first half. And uh, and I don't think for a second Kyle Shanahan lost that game. Patrick Mahomes won that game because he has so many others and now three Super Bowls. And I thought it was great. First half was, you know, kind of boring. But the fact it was within a touchdown, and I thought the Chiefs were going to win all along. At halftime, I told my wife, hey, Chiefs are too close. They're going to win this game. And uh, so I thought it was good. I've seen now every Super Bowl uh, going back to the first one. And uh, I have seen so many boring Super Bowls in which one team dominated the other. It seemed like that was the way it was every year. I covered more than 40 and forever when I covered Super Bowls, they were not close. And then I think kind of when the Patriots won their first one by three over the Rams and they won their next two by three, then they started to get more exciting. And uh, so, no, I I didn't think a three-point Super Bowl settled in overtime with the, and it was weird. A lot of people thought, oh my goodness, the clock's about to run out. I don't even know why they ran the clock. They need the play clock on there, of course, but the game would have just kept going five overtimes if they needed to. And uh, so it was, they didn't do a good job of explaining it on TV, but uh, I was watching on the internet too. And all these people, why don't they speed it up? The clock's running out. So I thought it was a good game. Chiefs won by three. I picked them by three, and so I was happy. All right. Leo, what are your thoughts? 
Man, I thought it was a great game. You know, it was nice to see, you know, some defense, you know. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much how I felt about it. It was nice to see defense and run game and then, like, seeing how having an elite quarterback, like, I don't think statistically, I haven't looked at it, but statistically, like, it wasn't like a this, like, gaudy, you know, number uh, game from, like, Mahomes. But it was crazy to see his impact on the game despite it really pretty much being a defensive game, you know what I mean? All right. One of the things that got me was – um, how much he run? He doesn't run a lot, but when he runs, it's with a purpose, and he's so good at it. And usually, he gets a first down. And the best thing about not taking the ball first uh, for the Chiefs is if the 49ers kick a field goal, Chiefs know what they got to do. 49ers kick a touchdown, Chiefs know what they got to do. Whether you're going like if it's say fourth and ten, and you got to go for fourth and ten, or you got a 57 yard field goal by a guy who's already kicked a long one. Well, you know you need that field goal. So when you know what you got to have, it's easier. But I understood Shanahan expecting them both teams to get the same thing, whether it was a touchdown or a field goal. But when he got the field goal, I don't know anybody that didn't think Mahomes is going to win this with a touchdown because he's right. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, what once, once he – once Purdy only was able to get him to a field goal, I was like, okay, They're not, uh, the 49ers aren't getting the ball back, obviously, and um, the Chiefs got this. The, so that was an issue, which we have a, we have a segment where we're actually going to talk about that um, just in a bit more detail for fun. But I want to get to the awards because it was a great day for Houston Texans fans last Thursday. It, it showed how bright the future is for, for Houston fans. Um, CJ, the offensive rookie of the year, uh, Will Anderson being – the defensive rookie of the year, sorry for the typo there. Um, and so I think, you know, it, this only happened four times in NFL history. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, Andre Johnson entered the Hall of Fame. It was just an amazing day. Um, I understand why that basically that Slovak didn't get the assistant coach of the year. I, I, I kind of agree with that. Jim Schwartz did a phenomenal job on the Browns. But my question to you is do you think that D'Amico was snubbed? Um, you know, Kevin Stefanski became coach of the year. Um, it was essentially almost a tie, right? You know, in, in, from the first round votes and stuff. So I think D'Amico got snubbed. In my opinion, D'Amico did far more with far less, right? The Browns had essentially a Super Bowl caliber uh, roster, right? Um, in terms of injuries, the Texans had 19 players on IR. The Browns had 15 players on IR. Um, we had six offensive players on IR. Um, and and so I think D'Amico did a lot more with a rookie quarterback, him being a rookie head coach, having a rookie OC, having, having a rookie quarterback coach. What do you think? Do you think D'Amico was snubbed? First of all, I'm like everybody else with Texans fans. I thought D'Amico deserved to win it, but I kept telling everybody on my talk shows, that Kevin Stefanski was going to win it. And the reason was the voting is done the day, two days after regular season. Stefanski killed the Texans, killed them here. Placco killed them. And Stefanski had to start five quarterbacks, including uh, four that he won games with. And there's no denying he did a fantastic job. And uh, if, if playoffs were included, I think D'Amico wouldn't have won it. What bothered me the most, guys, is that the way you vote, there's a 50-man committee. There's writers, there's broadcasters, there's former players, coaches, and general managers on that Associated Press Committee who are in the media and used to have those positions in the NFL. So it's not like it's just a bunch of dumb writers and broadcasters who don't know anything about football. (laughs) And uh, so seven of them, you you turn in five, seven of them did not put D'Amico on the ballot. That's what bothered me. I wish the ballots had been made public so you could ask those, why in the world wouldn't you just put him on your ballot? Let me see who the fifth, fourth, third. If he'd have gotten on one ballot, no matter what it was, he would have won it, 166 to 165. And as it was, I thought they should have been co-coaches of the year. We've had co's before, one year, Steve McNair, Peyton Manning, co-MVPs, and uh, but – the tiebreaker said whoever got the most first place votes and Stefanski got one more. So he should have won it under those rules, but there should have been some accountability 
for the people that did not have D'Amico Ryans on their ballot. Made no sense whatsoever. Gotcha. Leo, how do you feel? Man, you know, I, I told you, bro, like, I felt like we should have swept. You know, I think we should have had, you know, um, executive of the year, coach of the year, you know what I'm saying, and both rookies of the year. But that's just – it's never going to happen like that. Um, you know, I agree with everything John John said. Like, um, And that said, bro, like, I mean, you know, Stefanski had a, a good year too. I mean, like, you know, they, they, they're over and under, I think. They're proje- they were projected around like six and a half to like seven and a half wins, too, or some kind of low. No, they, no, they were projected to win ten and a half games. We were projected to win five and a half games. It was. So that's, they, that's where. Well, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen some. I mean, I'm not saying you're like, yeah. I mean, but I guess on one side, I saw it was lower. It was. It wasn't. It might not have been six and a half, like I said, but it was lower than that. It was six so, and a half. What I saw, I picked them to win six. And I don't care if you if you have to start five quarterbacks because of injuries and yeah. you win games with four. That's, there's no denying you did a yeah great, he he did a great job. job and so like you can't you can't say that he was undeserving. I think that either one would I mean what John said was true. Like you know what I'm saying uh, Coles would have been nice, but at the end of the day, bro, like you know he had a great year too. I mean you know they they could have like they could have tapped out after like you know a few a few you know uh of those injuries and it, you know it is what it is man i mean we'll be back and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to you know for him to get coach of the year again keep you know. in mind the uh executive of the year has not been named that forever has been decided by the sporting news and it's announced usually at the nfl meetings at a resort this year it's in orlando in late march and that's when they announced it. And I think Brad Holmes from the Lions is going to win that. He had a great draft. He had good free agency. I still think Casario should win it, but I think Brad Holmes is going to. Because there's been other groups like Pro Football Writers America, and we all know writers are the smartest, right? D'Amico won it. Stroud yeah. won it. Will Anderson Jr. won it. And uh, so I'm I'm holding out hope Casario gets it because he's done such a fabulous job as as Brad Holmes, and uh, but if if it's just Holmes first and Casario second, it's hard to to argue against that. But I think Casario, we all do. He's done a fabulous job going back to when he was entrusted with a total rebuild, and his he got here right when his quarterback said, "I want out." Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I, I understand what a lot of people are saying that, you know, let's just focus on the championship and not the awards. But I have to say, listen, we've been getting a lot of flowers lately, and rightly so. We have a great quarterback. We have a great head coach. We have a, a great executive. We have honest, great owners. At, at this point, I don't think you can be happier being a Texas fan at any time really throughout history. I mean, like, this is one of the best times to be a Texans fan. It and, is. I'll excuse, excuse me, VT. I saw a lot of people – went on the awards night with Andre and CJ and Will saying it's the greatest night in franchise history. There will never be a night better than when they got the franchise. That was the greatest night in franchise history. I was there in Atlanta for that. And then beating the Cowboys in the first game when you're 20-point underdogs in primetime on national TV, I think they're going to have to clinch to go to the Super Bowl before they'll beat that moment. But this, to me, was definitely not counting playoff victories, definitely top three and certainly second best off the field to uh, when they were awarded the franchise over L.A. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. So this is the main topic of of today's show, which is are the Texans entering their Super Bowl window? And let me play out just a few of the facts and, and a little bit of my opinion before I let you go. Right now, against all odds, the Texans superseded all expectations. I'm on record as saying I didn't think that there was any chance for the Texans to get in the playoffs, let alone win a playoff game, let alone blow out the Browns, who I believe had a Super Bowl winning roster and one of the best defenses in the league. Um, Did not see that happening. We have arguably a top five quarterback. I don't think there's any argument, but I can understand if there is one. We have a massively improved rush defense. Last year, we were 29th in the league, given a five-point yards per carry. We're, get, we're second best in the league right now. Thanks a lot. In 
in part to D'Amico Ryans, Will Anderson, Jonathan Kennard. Um, we have a lockdown quarter in Stingley who, yes, I know he was hurt for a lot of the season. And I questioned whether or not that was the right pick as well because of his injuries. But when he was on the field, he's a baller. We have found a wide receiver one in Collins. We found our wide receiver two in Tank Dell. We have long-term pieces on the O-line with, with Laramie Tunsil, Shaq Mason, uh, Titus Howard, and he, when he goes back to right tackle, um, we have a center that was playing left guard, but will be moved to center, hopefully, in the offseason. And we have $60 million in cap space. Are we entering our Super Bowl window, John? Well, I don't think for a second they're a Super Bowl contender for next season. I think uh, the key they got to do next year is going to be tough. Schedule is so much more difficult than the schedule they played this year. But I think this, they know they've got a great head coach. They got a great quarterback. They they have finally has some stars in the making. If Stingley could stay healthy for a whole season for the first time, he might be first team all pro. Nico's probably going to get an extension. Uh, Casario likes to reward players who uh, have great seasons, and he certainly had a great one. So they is the, probably next season they're going to have more stars on their team since 2018 when they had Watt, Watt. They had Watson, Watt, Clowney, Hopkins, and Tyron Matthew, DJ Reader. They were loaded. And then because of Bill O'Brien, you know, he dismantled the franchise. And um, one of the things, because of the schedule, you think about it, they're playing uh, all the first-place teams in AFC. They play the NFC North, so they're going to get the Lions and the Packers. And in their crossover game this past season – was Arizona here. Now they got to go to Dallas to AT&T Stadium. And if they don't win another game next year, I hope that's it. I like to see it on Thanksgiving as it was in 79 during the Love You Blue era when the Cowboys were great and the Oilers went up there and beat them 30-24. And their popularity just spread all over the country uh, because everybody loved Bum Phillips and Earl Campbell and Dan Pastorini. And so um, – I think if they could come out of next season with that tough schedule and win 10 games again, and that would be great. But for them to go beyond where they've ever been, which means win a divisional playoff game, they need to get it at home. They've never had that divisional game uh, at home. You know, they've won wild card games here, but they can't win on the road. And uh, that's the key. I don't think they can get the best record next season because of the schedule, but I picked them to win six games this past season. So what do I know? And when they started, (laughs) I'm like, Oh my God, I should have picked them to win three or four. They're going to be terrible again. And then even when they won by 20 at Jacksonville, 37, 17, I'm like, okay, well, Jacksonville took them lightly. But then when they pounded the Steelers and TJ Watt didn't do squat, um, while his brother was being put up in the rafters, that's the first time I thought, man, D'Amico might be a hell of a coach and Stroud might be a hell of a quarterback. And I kept expecting them to come back down to earth. But the only time I really thought they would was when they got humiliated by the Jets. And I thought, oh my God, they're never going to recover from this. But one of the great things about D'Amico, he makes sure they, they they study the loss, put it behind them. And when you win as many close games as a young team did with a rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, rookie play caller, rookie quarterback's coach, and you're able to win all those close games at the end, that shows you the kind of confidence they have in themselves and in the team. So that bodes well for any time they're in a close game. Too bad the Ravens game hadn't been close in the fourth quarter like it was at halftime because if Stroud had the ball with a chance to win the game, there's a lot of people in Houston that thought he would have. Mm, mm, mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, listen, I understand a lot of people, not just you, that think that we're not um, in our Super Bowl window. I was on a great podcast, Just Fans, yesterday, where um, one of the co-hosts, Poppy, was telling me that he doesn't think that we have a shot at all either. The one thing that I'm going to say is I didn't think we had a shot to to get in the playoffs at all. Stroud has impressed me. As you said, like, like the predictions that I had about this team is that I didn't think we were even close to getting a Super Bowl until 2026. That's what I said last offseason. But the thing is, they have been surprising me. 
uh, tremendously, both on defense, both on offense, coaching perspective. We have con- we're the only team in the AFC South that has real continuity, right? The Colts are the closest ones to have continuity, like because they kept the coaching staff, but they played Minshew for most of the season, not their quarterback AR, and they're going to have essentially a new quarterback under center for uh, for the season next year. Uh, the Jaguars got rid of their DC. We don't know what they're going to do on the offensive side, if they're going to do a thing. We know a couple assistant coaches, like their line coach and so forth, have gone, but they lost their DC, and Doug Peterson's on the hot seat. If he doesn't get in the playoffs, there's a chance he gets fired. The Titans just went all out and said, going scorched earth, got rid of essentially everyone, got rid of variables. So, like, we're the only team in the AFC South that has continuity. We can use that to our advantage. I know the schedule is tough, but the Texans surprised me this year. They can surprise everyone next year. Leo, what say you? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm of the thought that our Super Bowl, our Super Bowl window is wide open, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not really I'm not really worried about the schedule. I'm not really worried about, you know, really that much. I mean, because I feel like the, the holes of this team are, are really like easily fixed. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about adding a running back. We're talking about getting guys that can win in the middle of the field. We have two receivers that have proven that they can win outside. I mean, on defense, we're talking about getting run stuffers inside of, uh, you know, our two edges. You know what I'm saying? Possibly, you know, another linebacker and, um, you know, you know, secondary players like, you know, that are more so scheme fits than like, you know, it's not like we need a number one corner. So I think that it's going to be hard to botch this offseason. You know what I'm saying? I think it's going to be hard to botch this offseason for us. And there's a lot of different ways that we could go as to like, who we're going to invest the most in, who we're going to invest the high draft picks in, you know what I'm saying, and free agency. You know what I mean? So I just think that this is going to be the offseason that outside of quarterback, we we um, end up having a, a like an actual strength. And I think when you have an actual strength and you have to make people game plan for it, it like you have um, a lot of different ways that you could go in terms of like countering and like, you know, uh, all type of stuff, you know what I'm saying, in terms of, like, that will make it easier for us to move the ball on tough defenses like we saw against the Ravens um, both times, uh, you know, when we had struggles against the Falcons, um, you know, and those type of defenses. So, like, to me, like uh, – and the Jets, obviously. So, to me, I think I think it's wide open. When you have a quarterback like this, you, 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 you know, I, obviously I understand what y'all are saying, like, you know, our team won't be as mature, but, but I mean, I've seen, I mean, look, the lions, the lions came within like Inches. <laughs> a, a stupid, a, a, a couple stupid calls to go into the super bowl. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, right. The Ravens, if Zay flowers doesn't lunge his, his, you know, doesn't lunge and stick the ball out there, they might go to the super bowl. It's like right. the margin of error is so thin. And I think that if we stay healthy, and we're healthy at the right time, and we are able to have more than one passing option available at the end of the season, and we do have more interior guys on defense, I think that we can we can honestly play with anybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I firmly believe that, you know? One thing, they're going to have a lot of needs in the offseason. They're going to lose players. They're not going to go overboard on spending. Nick Casario will have a budget, and if he can get them in the budget, they'll resign. The guy to me that needs to be signed first and foremost is Grenard. And I think him getting hurt at the end of the year might help the Texans because if he stayed healthy, he racked up three or four more sacks. But now, if you look at his career, he's been hurt every year. Do you want to invest $18, 20000000 million on defensive end who's been hurt every year? And so I think he's got a better chance of staying here. But uh, to me, the biggest thing they have to improve is the running game because they couldn't run the ball worth a damn. And uh, the other thing is, I believe, and I, I see all these mock drafts, and I'm thinking, what? and people would know this nationally that pick mock drafts. I've talked to D'Amico so many times, and he says it publicly or privately. It all starts with a defensive line. So I think they're going to use their first pick on defensive alignment. And I don't care if Sheldon Rankins come back. D'Amico wanted him really bad. He told uh, Nick Casario, he fits exactly what I want in our scheme. They got him. He had six sacks. He played to run well. 
but I don't think he's going to get a lot of money at his age and they're not going to pay him a whole lot. Maybe he'll come back. They love Malik Collins and those guys improved so much against the run, except for that Colts game, which I still can't understand how bad they stunk it up after being so good all season. So they're going to improve the line even more. If you look at the 49ers, all their linemen are number one or in our graves case, a free agent they paid a lot of money for. Dre Greenlaw, fifth-round pick. Fred Warner, third-round pick. They're back seven, are not ones, and they're not twos. And because they were able to do it, I think D'Amico and Casario will be able to do it. And the most overlooked position to me is safety. Jimmy Ward is hurt a lot. You can't count on him to be healthy. I hate to say it because he went to Baylor. Jalen Petrie did not play nearly as well in D'Amico's system as he did in Lovey Smith's system. And maybe he'll be like, say, Damian Pierce. They would love for Damian Pierce to figure out the zone scheme. And one reason I haven't given up on him, after the Titans season, the Athletic did a really deep dive on Derrick Henry, thinking it could be his last season there. And something that stuck out to me way down in the story. He said, my biggest regret is I didn't learn the zone scheme quicker. If I had, a, I could have had a great season. I might have had two great seasons. So it took him a while. And once he figured it out, of course, he was tremendous. So I'm hoping that that Damian Pierce during the offseason will be able to figure out it's not about straight-ahead power. It's about discipline, instincts, and, and knowing where your block is because you're not supposed to know where the linemen are going. And uh, But safety, to me, when you finish the season and your second, third, and fourth safeties were all signed off the street during the season, uh, you've got to rectify that problem. And fortunately, safeties don't command a lot of money on the free agent market, so maybe they can get a good one to play next to Jalen Petrie. Yeah, and see, that's my my hope that, like, I think that it's it's – it's fairly easy to find. I think that we had a bunch of guys kind of playing out of position. I think that like Petrie, man, um, some one of the commenters just said it. Like Petrie played more snaps on the defensive line at Baylor than he did deep safety. He played more snaps at corner than he did at deep safety. He played more yeah. snaps at linebacker than he did at deep safety. And you know, so it's like to have him playing like you know match coverages and like playing single high like. 20 30 yards from the line of scrimmage it was a he was in waters that he hadn't really been in before so like i think i do think that there will be some adjustments to to his skill set and i i do think though at, at times he did play well like um when the, particularly like it was a lot of cover four reps where it looked like he did the right thing there were some really botched coverages but and i i still hold hope that like he can play nickel you know, what I mean, I look at his his testing numbers, his athletic testing numbers. He has solid agility uh, measurements. So, I, I mean, and I, I think, you know, when you think about what he was doing in college, like he was playing in the box, playing at at, at nickel. So I, I, I just have a hard time thinking that there is no place for him on our defense. Oh, there's you know? a place for him. Coaches love him. But I saw every game he played at Baylor. Yeah. They liked him to blitz. Right. They liked him to cover the slot receivers. They didn't have him lining up deep in zone coverage. Right. And he's either going to adjust to it or I don't know what's going to happen because they're not going to play him the way that they played at Baylor because they think he's too small. He'll get beat up doing that. But he's smart. He's fast. He's got good instincts. He didn't take as many bad angles to the ball as he did as a rookie. But at least at the, when he was a rookie, he made a lot of big plays because he was always looking at the ball but uh, he was—he didn't do anything until Dave Aranda got there, and Aranda said, "Look, this is what, how I think he would do best," and he excelled at it, and he was a Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. But the coaches and teammates love Petrie. That's why he was a captain in his second season. And it's like anything else when you do something for the first time, mm-hmm. you're going to be better the second time. Just like having Bobby Slowing back. And Gerard Johnson back, and I think Sloick will be gone this time next year, and Gerard will be the coordinator. And uh, the everybody knows their system. They know what they expect. They know how to react, and it's important for the coaches. They know the players better. Think about where they were this time last year. 
It is like night and day. And that's one reason mentally it should be so much better with players. And they always want them just to react, not to overthink it. And so they shouldn't have to be have any overthinking. So we, we you touched on Sheldon Rankins, and that was actually one of the players that I wanted to talk about today. Um, and so I just want to touch on just a little bit. Um, my opinion is that I don't think that we honestly need him to stay, and I'll, and I'll tell you my case. So I know that he had six sacks, four QB hits, four, 40 total pressures, and a forced fumble. Um, he was not the best against the run, and that, that was a significant problem in my opinion. Um, he did get better against the run, like, after like midseason, like game six, game seven, but he started out very weak against the run. And part of the reason that I think a lot of people want him back is when they look at the sack numbers, they're looking at six sacks, but three of them were against Cincy. And what did Cincinnati do? Well, he was going up against a guard that essentially was horrible and they didn't double team him. So he's able to take advantage of that. I think paying him 10 to 13 million is not necessarily the best. No, I ain't because- paying him anywhere near that kind of money. Cor- Right, he's right. not getting that from anybody else either at his age. I, I agree, and and I'm not saying that we go and we definitely get a free agent like Chris Jones or Justin Matabuke, but if we did, and and you say like they want something like twenty plus million, well, nearly half of his salary could go to that. That's why I don't think I would sign Sheldon Rankins. And John, it sounds like you wouldn't. You really not uh, bothered by bringing him back either. I'd bring him back for certain, but I'd do it at my price. Whatever okay. the budget was, if he if he wants it, he does it. Reason he started slow is he was playing in a different kind of system. Uh, what D'Amico was doing, D'Amico adjusted what they had done under Robert Sala uh, in San Francisco and what they were doing under Robert Sala with the Jets. And once Rankins picked it up, and I think another thing about Rankins, he wasn't there in the off season. He was home at work, working and working out, which is their right. So he didn't he didn't have any of the offseason program. So he came to camp. He got he got off to a slow start. He didn't do anything that stood out. And then when the season started, I didn't notice anything about him. And then slowly but surely he got better. They made dramatic improvement against the run. And it all started up front. All of them have to be able to play the run. And I can't remember if it's next gen stats or pro football focus. There's so many out there now that this was about three quarters of the way through the season. VT, maybe you know this. They said that Anderson and Grenard were the best twosome at stopping the run in the NFL. And then they used their stats to prove it. And that's amazing for a rookie defensive end right. to, be able to do that and play the run as well as he did. And Grenard has, has done it well, but D'Amico is all about the front. And one of the things that linebacker, Blake Cashman, stayed healthy for the first time in his whole career. I talked to him last year. I said, you were hurt every year with the Jets. And then you come here and you've stayed healthy, relatively healthy. He said, well, because they had me doing things here physically off the field and things the way they approach your health, different than anything I've been exposed to. So, and plus, a lot of that, Players don't like to say this, but when you're in the last year of your contract, it would behoove you to stay healthy. And so he played really, really well. And so they got uh, over 30 guys whose contract is going to be up. Obviously, they don't want to bring all of them back. They'll probably get a few of them back at a cheap price because they serve a purpose. But a guy like Cashman, you know, Cashman's contract's up. He made a lot of big plays. Grenard, Grenard made a lot of big plays. So there's things they got to decide, you know, that do the corners. You know, they got two second, third corners whose contracts are up. And then and like Jordan Schultz, if you don't sign him, and I don't think he's going to get a lot of money on the open market, but if you let him go, you got to start from scratch at a position, then start over with the system and everything else. But I think they will focus on trying to bring back their key players. They'll bring in some free agents. They won't be spending the kind of money it would take for Jones, Matt BK, and he'll be he'll be franchised. And uh, because that's never been uh, Casario's mo. And uh, and I also think you know they'll emphasize the draft. And I uh, think it'll start with the defensive line. It is so deep with wide receivers. Too bad they don't need an offensive tackle. It's the deepest draft I've ever seen with a tackle. But uh, okay. I think they'll, you know, receivers like, you know, Monroe St. Brown, he's like fourth round. You can get a receiver, Tank, 
third round. I'm not worried about that. But those difference makers in the defensive line, a lot of them aren't in the first round. But, boy, if you see somebody you like, you better get them. They might be top-heavy up front, but I think that's the way they'll go. I think you said a lot. You said a lot there, man. And like I, I, I agree. You know, and it's it's interesting. I think me and V and Josh, like you know, pretty much everyone that I talk football to, we all wonder what, uh, how how he wants to build the defensive line. It's 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 uh it's that was a lot of insightful stuff that you said, particularly about you know Sheldon Rankins being the kind of defense or I guess like you know a defensive tackle that he really really wanted now the thing is the the most interesting part to me is like what are they going to do at the other spot like so and and so they have a lot of players this offseason that fit that mold of like a Sheldon Rankins from like Matabike and you know I mean potentially potentially yeah even even, yeah he's not he's not coming but you know just potentially right you know um even in the draft like you talk about like a Jerzon Newton like a Byron Murphy uh Leonard Taylor these are all guys that have athleticism that can like penetrate you know and shoot the gaps and stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see, do, do we end up getting two defensive tackles like that, which we kind of kind of had this year, or do they end up going with one like guy that's like more like a real, like a one technique, and then have that guy at the three technique? And also another thing too, kind of going back to the Super Bowl, if you want to be a team that relies on your front to get pressure throughout the whole game, like, and you don't have adequate depth. I mean, one of the things I thought that killed the Niners defense was it seemed like in the first half, Chase Young and Nick Bosa dominated the game pretty much. But in the second half, as their snap count rose and went up, you know, and Randy Gregory's snap count, it seemed like once Gregory played over 10 or 15 snaps, he was done. And then by the end of it, like, Nick Bosa and Young, were neither, neither one of them had any impact to me. So, like, that's 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 going to be the interesting thing to me is like if he wants to really really truly rely on the front for four quarters every game are we going to have the depth are we going to see him kind of using more schemes like we saw in the last Baltimore game where like they were running a lot more odd front stuff and they were blitzing more like it's going to be really interesting to see what he ends up doing but it's it's an interesting tidbit that you showed that Rankins was someone who he really really sought after. D'Amico you know? doesn't want to blitz if he doesn't have to and of course they pick and choose when they do it and a guy they liked a lot he flashed just enough to to whet their appetite was Dylan Horton, the fourth round pick from TCU. And then he went down for the year. Hassan Razorway, he was just filling, filling the spot. Kurt, the guy that I like in a reserve role is Khalil Davis. Every time he's in the game, he makes a play and he's cheap. And, and he's one of those guys, he brings the lunch pail. He and Kurt Heinish, they're nothing glamorous about them. They're never going to be starters, but when they get a chance to get in the rotation, they make plays. But I think they will spend money uh, to on a, on a on a free agent. And I don't mean big money like the big money guys, but they want to add pad the defensive line inside and outside. If somehow they could have Will Anderson Jr., John Grenard, and a first or second round pick whenever they address the defensive line, that would give them such depth and be able to keep those guys from not sucking eggs like the 49ers did. And then they need a strong three-man rotation. And then you got Khalil Davis and Kurt Ninish. But they've got to improve both of them. And that's why in every mock draft I do, I'm going to have them taking a defensive lineman at 23. Okay. Um, going right back to free agency, though, I just wanted to bring this up because we had some news today about Brandon Ayuk. I know a lot of people were th- talking about this all offseason. I understand he plays largely on the outside, but he could potentially play slot here. Uh, for those that don't know, um, was it his relative, his cousin Leo? I forget exactly who um, posted the Instagram, but yeah, so there was his girlfriend that posted one, and then his okay. best friend posted another one. So, and then right. and then he he had an interview today where he basically said, "I don't know if I'm gonna be back." Type basically he says they're all gonna want to get paid. That's right. all players care about. They're not coming here to play with CJ. They're not coming to Houston because they like it, unless you pay them. And agents are going to use the Texans like crazy because everybody loves C.J. Stroud. Everybody loves D'Amico. The Texans aren't bringing anybody in here like Chris Jones or Matt B.K. 
or Brandon Ayuk, those guys are not going anywhere. And uh, they'll get guys, but don't, uh, don't, there'll be so many things leaked to the national media and online about the Texans and Stroud because people think they're a great des- destination, and they are, but you're not going to get them unless you pay them. I agree completely. Um, now, all right, so let's move on to one other dude, which is not necessarily a big name, and he's not really being talked about. Um, but you mentioned that, you know, we obviously have an issue with our DBs. Kendall Fuller, he is kind of aging out of the cornerback position, but potentially could he play safety? Um, could he play slot corner? Um, you know, the, the dude's 5'11". He's uh, 198 pounds. He's 28 years old. Uh, he had, He's not doing great right now and the cornerback position. He had two interceptions, um, five pass breakups. He allowed six touchdowns. But back in 2021, he had 14 PBUs. Right. So like the talent has been there. He's aging out. Could he move over to slot corner? Could he be a free safety? Could he work in this system? He's estimated to have eight million, possibly even less. So we don't have to. It's not a big money free agency deal. John, what do you think about Kendall Fuller? Well, first of all, it depends on Stephen Nelson resigns and he's at an age. He's at an age now where he's got to resign. He knows he's got a chance to go to the playoffs, make a little money in the playoffs. I can't imagine anybody else is going to overpay the Texans. Desmond King, they got the maximum out of him that they could. I think they'll still draft a corner. Could be in the second round. I think think the receiver will be in the second or third round. I think they'll draft a corner in the second or third round. And you guys know how Casario is. He'll trade back in, and uh, he doesn't mind moving up like he did for Nico Collins and the way he did for Juice Scruggs, he can't sit on his hands. So that's something we have to consider. But a guy like Fuller, 28, and he can play another four years. But they want to, whatever D'Amico says, Casario has in his contract, he has final say on all personnel. The McNair's never stand in the way of money. If Casario says, look, I think we should spend $100 million on this player. And they'll say, can you fit him under your cap? Sure, we can do it. All right, $100 million is yours. And so they sign off on it. They just want to know why you're doing it. They want to know uh, why you're doing it and how it's going to work out. So whoever it is that D'Amico wants it, and there's a certain type of player D'Amico likes, besides guys who, who, as you always talk about, swarming. It's important to him. Like on offense, if you don't block at wide receiver, you ain't on the field. And same way the 49ers. And I was amazed at the way the Texans blocked. I remember John the third knocking knocking uh, T.J. Watt on his ass. And T.J., I think, in that game had like two tackles and one quarterback hit. He was effectively neutralized. And several times, Mechie got in his way, caught him off guard. And so I love watching what they do with their wide receivers. Well, on defense, if you don't swarm to the ball, you don't play. If you take plays off, you don't play. You can make fun of the general manager's vest, but if you play hard, you're going to be playing no matter what the GM thinks because the head coach, he's in charge of the game day roster. You know, if you're Pep Hamilton and you want uh, Rex Bleep and Burkhead to, to touch the ball more than Damian Pierce, you can do it. Well, in this case, whatever D'Amico wants on game day goes. So if Fuller is a guy that he wants – They'll make every effort to get him as long as he fits in their budget. And they will. This roster is going to undergo a lot of turnover because that's usually what happens with your first-year coaches going into his second year when he knows more about the players. Okay. Leo, do you have any thoughts on Kendall Fuller? Uh, I haven't really, really studied him too hard. I know he was really good coming in. Like, you know, he was solid. I think – I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of Steven Nelson. I, I mean, honestly, so I, it, it, I wouldn't be opposed to signing him if you know. But and and you need depth, and you know, I don't know, I don't know if he's had any like real experience playing safety. Though I know you asked that initially, but I mean, he definitely can can cover, and like you kind of see this, like as you see more and more of these schemes where safeties are required to have. Um, you know, coverage skills and cornerback type skills, like there definitely is room for him. You know, I mean, you see, like, I know Jalen Mills played a lot of safety this year. Um, you know, he's a, a cornerback, um, and you know, so on and so forth. So, like, I'm sure that there is a way, especially like on third downs, 
to work him in on the field. Um, probably damn near everywhere in the secondary. But, I mean, you know, we just got to see. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, you know, we got to see what happens. And, you know, I think at this point, though, you do have to have, like like we say, Desmond King probably isn't coming back. Um, you know, I, I thought that we had a cornerback issue for, you know, a large part of the season. Um, so I think you, you really have to basically have four guys that you basically feel comfortable with playing outside in today's league. So I think that it would be a good pickup regardless, you know? When you look at the quarterbacks in the division, everybody in Nashville thinks Levis is going to get better. Even though Lawrence has not been a generational quarterback, he's still good. And then we don't know what to expect out of Anthony Richardson. I believe if he had stayed healthy, they would have not been in the playoffs. He would have not won as many games because he just didn't play much in college and he would have struggled to win but you have all young quarterbacks, so you better have corners. As Rick Smith used to say, you can't have enough good ones. If you got to sign them in the free agency, if they're out there, low picks, throw them in the mix. See who, who, who can step up in the system that your coaches are playing, and I think that's what they'll do. They'll sign a couple in free agency. They'll draft one, maybe two in a lower round because in a division where they're going to throw the ball, you better be ready. Sure. All right. Um, so we have a segment called the weekly draft crush. Um, we have given one every week. This week, I'm I'm going to say McKinley Jackson, and Leo introduced me to him. Um, but he's a defensive tackle, but I think he plays well as nose. Um, he's 331 pounds, so he's a big boy. Um, he's excellent at stopping the run. He's not necessarily as good as getting after the quarterback, though he does have two sacks. Uh, uh, four, sorry, four sacks, two QB hits, eight hurries last season. He's played in the A-gap and the B-gap. Um, he's had probably, if you want to even say, one one bad game this last season, and that was against Ole Miss. But I think that McKinley is a, is a choice that I think Domingo could use. You put him there at, as a nose, and now you're freeing up um, – Will Anderson to do to do his job, job the to do his job. You you're better against the run. I think he, I think he's a real fit. What do you think, John? Um, not only about McKinley, but who is your draft crush? Uh, anybody that they bring in as a rookie is going to be a backup in the defensive line if Rankins comes back. Every okay. coach that's been here loves Malik Collins. They just love Malik, and I'm thinking at one point, okay. D'Amico, he may not like Malik. They all love the guy. And uh, so I'm thinking Malik's going to be the left tackle, either Rankins or somebody else. You know, a guy like that, sure, why not? If I think the first-round picks, if Jonathan Gennard goes, they got to get him with number 23. They need an outside guy. The guy that I'm going to have in a couple of mock drafts would be Chop Robinson from Penn State. I think he'll be there. And uh, but there's some the guy I'd love gives Devondre Sweat. He the fact that he wouldn't weigh in at the senior ball is scary. You know, they list him at 364. Whatever we see these listings, the Texans will not give us accurate weights on players. They they do what the colleges say, like Will Anderson Jr. They had him at 242, he's 255 at the combine. He told us in camp he was 260 because he'd worked his tail off to add muscle to get stronger playing defensive end and the NFL and it, it worked, but I would love to see sweat here. You mentioned Murphy earlier. I don't think Murphy would be there if he was, boy, he'd be a good one to get inside because he can play inside or outside. He can rush. He can line up anywhere on the line of scrimmage, but I think Murphy will be long gone, but uh, keep your eye on defensive linemen who are in the 23 range whether they're inside or outside. And if, if Grenard leaves in free agency, there's no doubt that first pick's got to be an end unless they spend money on a pass rusher. And it's hard to see a pass rusher who's available. Uh, maybe Son Reddick says he's not – he didn't ask to be traded, but uh, I'm guessing that he did because of the reports. But maybe they would look. 49ers, think about all the people they traded for. You know, they traded for him on both sides of the ball. Trent Williams, Christian McCaffrey, they did it with uh, Sanj Von Argrave in free agency. They weren't averse to bringing in the veterans who cost them picks. And I don't know if D'Amico wants to do that, 
You know, he's not going to do everything like the 49ers did, but they, they provided him with the blueprint and they listened to him when it came to getting players on defense. Uh, and that's why I think uh, the things that they did out there, are things he's going to want to do here when it comes to acquiring talent. Okay. All right. Leo, uh, what are your thoughts on what John said? And also who's your weekly draft crush? Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. You know, everything he said, um, definitely look. And I mean, that's the thing, bro. Like this year, this year, um, you can really mess around and get a great <laughs> D-line player at 23 now because of how, um, you know, those um, edge rushers, not, I mean, not edge rushers, my bad, receivers, you know, you got a tight end that's going to go before us. There's like a couple, two a bunch to three of offensive tackles are going to be gone. Right, right, right. At least three. At least three tackles is going to probably be drafted before us. Uh, three, two or three quarterbacks. You know, I'm trying to think. Four receivers. They already I say receivers? Six receivers. I think there'll be like six offensive tackles because offensive tackle is so important, and there's so many good ones. Receivers will be moved down. Corners will be moved down. Defensive line will be moved down while they get those all those quarterbacks, wide receivers, and offensive tackles. You saying that stuff about rankings is definitely going to have me going back and looking at Johnny Newton this week again, you know, to see what, what, uh, see what's up with, with him, man. But, um, again, V, you always, I don't know why I wasn't more prepared for this question. I'm <laughs> this question. Yeah. Um, cause I, I mean, you know, not much has changed. Okay. Like, so the first week I had, I think I had Darius Robinson. Last week I had Jaheim Bell. Um, this week, man, I'm going to pick, uh, I'm gonna go with um, do 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 do. I'm a fucking. I'm oh, sorry. I'm gonna go with uh, Nate Wiggins, man. <laughs> Nate Wiggins, man. <laughs> who's, the, who's the uh, the kid at Washington, the defensive lineman? That oh, Trice, him. Trice, Braylon. Everybody Trice. has him going in the second round, which means yeah. you know where people have him going now doesn't mean squat. Uh -huh. You know, once they go to the combine, it started with his senior bowl practices, not the senior bowl practices, then the combine, then the pro days. Then you get private workouts. Then you have lunches and dinners with them. Then you can bring 30 of them in here and get to know them. So players can go up and down. But a guy like, is it Trice? Is that his name? Yeah, Braylon Trice. Yeah. Braylon Trice. A guy like him, it looks so good. You know, he could go from a second-round grade right now to, to in that range. And uh, there's a lot of those guys, a lot of defensive linemen. The, the elite will go high, of course. But there's going to be a bunch available around when the Texans play. The key is just getting the right one. And I believe if they get the right one, it'll be somebody D'Amico has asked Casario to draft. Then D'Amico's going to know, like he did with Sheldon Rankins and a couple other players, he, he and his guys can coach them to play the system that they play. And I'm going to be really fired up, not just to see who it is, but watch them when they get over an off-season program, and we're watching them every day on the field, and then of course in training camp. But uh, uh, I'm going to keep looking for those defensive linemen like him and uh, have a chance to go up in that range. And because uh, the Tex Texans have that low second-round pick, you can get players in every round, of course. But at some point, I also want to see if D'Amico looks for a guy like Dre, Dre Greenlaw, and he says to uh, Kyle Shanahan, who has final say on all personnel. I really like this kid, Greenlaw. I hope somewhere we get him, think we can get him in a low round. Okay, let's take him in fifth. And he turned out to be a pro bowler like Fred Warner, who was a three. So keep an eye out on the linebackers too, even though Christian Harris played real well. And if somehow Blake Cashman parlays his season into a better contract somewhere else, that'll be a priority position in free agency or the draft. And we also need to look, see who the 49ers have on defense whose contracts are expiring mm. guys that they actually can get, not somebody that's going to command a lot of money. Right. Right. Um, I think we talked about a lot of great stuff. We had a great show today. Uh, John McClain, I appreciate you coming here. My uh, pleasure. Be before we get, before we leave though, guys, I just want to uh, all ask you to visit the shop, go to Texas 22.com slash shop. Check out some of the stuff. This is actually a sweatshirt from this uh, the site. It's all original. Um, go check it out. John, you talked about a lot of different things that you're doing, the different stations. What's the next show that where we can listen to you on? 
Well, I'm on Texans Radio every Thursday night at 6 o'clock. I'm on KRIV at 8.22 a.m. on Mondays and Fridays, and there's a good chance pretty soon I may have a, another local radio gig here. And, uh, uh, and and everything I do, I put on Twitter, McLean underscore, underscore NFL. And uh, so uh, I'm still doing a whole lot of stuff, and I love doing podcasts with you guys. I hope everybody is tuning in, understands what a good job you guys do and how much effort you put into it. I appreciate that wholeheartedly, John. Uh, thank you for your time today. I had a wonderful pleasure. time. Let Hopefully me know. We'll have... do it again. Awesome. Awesome. We'll definitely do this again. Guys, thank you for watching. I uh, appreciate you sticking with us throughout the whole hour. And just remember, Texans 22 always has your back. Texans 22, breaking it down. Podcast got the city vibing to the sound. Special guest dropping knowledge so true. Texans, damn, this one's for you.